morning once again. I am going to have to uh, use this. We can't find my uh, my ear uh, mic, so this is going to be really hard for me. I, I feel I feel like I'm tethered, like I got like a, a leash on or something. Like, but this does move with me, doesn't it? At least, okay. Uh, this morning's uh, worship set, I guess, was brought to us by East Tennessee. East Tennessee, yeah, that was a surprise to me. I, I'm, I like East Tennessee, to be honest. But uh, but uh, that was uh, that was really fun to do, and, and you had fun doing the banjo, didn't you? He always, he always looks forward to the opportunity to play that banjo. So um, this morning, if you have your Bibles, and I hope that you have those with you this morning. If you don't have one and you're here without one, uh, if you look, there's seats in front of you that should have Bibles there. If you don't have one this morning, please take and use that. If you don't own one, take that with you as you walk out of here, and uh, we'll tell the police officer that you're not stealing, you're fine. And so uh, that's a gift from us to you, so if you do not have that. So if you have your Bibles this morning, go ahead and turn. And we will be in Exodus 16 this morning together. This morning in Exodus 16. So if we can, I'm going to do something, if I can, personally. I would love to pray again before we get started this morning. So uh, if you will, uh, join with me in prayer. Father God, I pray to you today, I pray, Lord, that you would help us, help us, Lord God, to see and hear and comprehend, and yes, Lord, love your word. I pray that you would be uh, in your word this morning. I pray that you would use me simply as an instrument uh, of the truth of your word, for your glory, our good and joy, Lord, we do pray. Be with us now and be honored and glorified in this place, and help us, Lord, to have deeper clarity and understanding of all that you've called us to be and do. It's in your name we pray, Christ Jesus. Amen. Amen. Well, this morning, I don't know if you know this, you're going to sit there and say to yourself, this is so random. Random. But actually, I don't know if this is going to work because they may have used it. Look at that. Look at that. What is that? Does anybody know what that is? No, no, no. No, no. Let's see what happens. Let's see if I did that. I don't even, you know what the funny thing is? I don't even know where to point this at. <laughs> so, what is that? Bubble wrap. Now, bubble wrap will celebrate this year its 61st anniversary. Amen, amen. <laughs> no claps for bubble wrap. Okay. Uh, although the primary function is to provide cushion security today, if you live in my house, it's used to uh, authenticate the cracking of backs and necks to everyone's laughter, right? But it, it, though we know it to have safety, it's used to wrap up things that we don't to, want to get broken. Bubble wrap was originally invented, listen to this, some of you may know, as wallpaper. It was wall covering. In the late 1950s, a New York City designer was looking for a new type of textured wall covering. But the idea, I don't know if you knew this, it never actually took off. Right? I don't know if you knew that. After seeing this reality that nobody cares for our wallpaper, the inventors Mark Chavanez and Al Fielding envisioned a different application for the bubbly wallpaper and created an industry, listen to this, with an annual today budget of receiving $2 billion a year. Hello, Amazon, right? 
The vision of those two inventors made the difference between the success and the failure for bubble wrap. Another thing is that the vision or the ability to see something here in direct course was the determining factor of whether or not this uh, wallpaper was going to go into history as one of the worst things ever created or a $2 billion industry uh, known today. And brothers and sisters, as I think about the church after COVID, not just this church, but the church after COVID, I think much like the the uh, the, uh, bubble wrap illustration that we have just seen, what we have here, what we have here as a fellowship at College Acres is good. Meaning the building blocks are here, the, the makeup and the formation of something really great and glorifying to God is here. It's established, it's already there. However, like bubble wrap, maybe we need a little refocusing. That's why we say reset. That's why, if you remember what I said last week, this is part two of last week's part one, right? This is like two sides of the same coin kind of a sermon coming at it from two different angles. Maybe we need a little refocus as to goals and vision. And remember, as we said last week, again, this is determined by what God says in his word and not what man thinks in his culture. So I just want to make sure that y'all understand when I say that about understanding where to go, that we're understanding that this is the foundation, the formation of all that we do as a church. And I believe that this is exactly where we stand currently as a fellowship. I'm talking about this one, College Acres. I pray that we as a church will not grow too complacent or comfortable as a church in the midst of all these things that we just saw and we've been a part of for the past year as a church. I'm not talking about college. That's the church in America in general, right? And the church all over the world is coming out of some crazy moments and times in the church's history. And the funny thing is, is that I know that many of you feel the same way because you've said it to me. You've spoken about these things. I'm hearing it on your lips and your, uh, your, your mouths, and I'm hearing it with my own ears. And the question I have, what if God has more for us than being, listen to me, wallpaper? Okay? What if many of our people find themselves longing for something more? And when I say the word longing, I'm using words like anticipation. I'm talking about words like expectation. I wonder if this defines us as a fellowship. Being in anticipation and expectation of what God can and what God might be doing. Openness is essentially the willingness to grow. It's a distaste for ruts. It's eagerly standing on tiptoe for a better view of what tomorrow might bring. It's, it's, that, it's that view of, here's, here's, the, here's the, 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 the fence line and, and it's just, just wanting to get, you're straining for every peak of what may be around the bend. I wonder if this defines us as a congregation. Sir Isaac Newton, if you remember, he says, everything continues in a state of rest. Everything continues in a state of rest unless it is compelled to change by forces impressed upon it. I think that that's probably what it means in the book of Hebrews. When it says that we are together often to stir, stir, to agitate one another to love and to good deeds. The force 
of others and thinking and thoughts and, and we rub up against each other actually produces in us the better version of ourselves if we were just left alone. This is God's intention for the church. We need each other. The person who gets on your nerves, thank God for them. Because they are the soil in which you get to practice your patience. They are the soil in which you get to practice your grace and mercy. Your kindness and long-suffering. Hey, they're also the testing soil for your self-control. <laughs> I'm laughing too because I'm like you. I, I am they, right? Now I want you to know something. I feel those forces all around us here in the conversations I am having with you all or in my simply watching and thinking about many of you or my own spiritual walk and journey personally. I'm talking about Kyle Schiff. And this morning, I pray God will use me, yes, this morning, even as a force as well. As I seek to set out to preach from God's word in anticipation of our life as a fellowship moving forward here at College Acres. Now, before I go any further, I need you all to hear something from me. And it's very important that you hear this. Texts like this morning, sermons like this morning, remind the pastor, the pastor, that brother, you too often forget. Me. I need you to know something. As I was preparing and working on this sermon, the entire time I'm looking at it, I'm going, how about you, bucko? How about you? How about you? How about you? One old divine once said, before you make a sermon, make sure the sermon makes a man. This sermon this morning is something that I'm speaking for that I could literally crawl up in any one of your laps and listen to this morning. How fickle is the human aren't we always aren't we like prone to forget often? That's why in most churches today, no, no, I, I take that back. Every church today, we need to constantly be put, pointing people to the gospel. Why? Because the gospel is something we forget often. It's not that you don't know it, it's not that you don't believe it. Your problem is if you're like me, sometimes you forget it. Which is the reason why you don't veer too far off of it for long periods of time at all. So this morning we have a primary passage. The primary passage is fairly long. The primary passage this morning is Exodus 16. And I want you to know that it is a picture of people not at all excited for change or trusting in the provisions that God was bringing. Last week's sermon took you to the promise, excuse me, the, 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 the in-between between the promise, excuse me, the problem and the promise. The problem was Israel, I mean in Egypt, where God brought them out. He brings them to the promised land. They literally sit there, and God is getting ready to give them everything that they have been promised and desired. And what do we see last week? Let us go back to Egypt. Let us go back to Egypt. Well, you say, well, that's, they were wondering for a while. Maybe that's the problem. No, listen. This morning, we're going to pick up a little before what we picked up last week and put them a little bit out of order. Now, I'm going to take you literally two months into them leaving Egypt. And I want you to see where the, where the complaining started. Now, if you, don't, if you don't, I don't know if you remember, the complaining started before they crossed the Red Sea. Did you remember that? It's like it started from the very beginning. But I want you to see this account of some complaining going on 
in the camp of Israel. And usually I have a stand in reverence of God's word. This morning, because of all that is before us, I'm going to have you sit, uh, sit, to sit down and to partake and to listen to the text. Okay, a little different than what I usually do. So this morning, let us start by reading Exodus 16, 1 through 7 first. And it says there in our word. The whole Israelite community set out from Elam and came to the desert of Sin. I don't want to go, you don't want to, you don't want to be in that desert very long, right? Which is between Elam and Sinai. On the 15th day of the second month after they had come out of Egypt. In the desert, the whole community grumbled against Moses and Aaron. They were doing that last week, remember? And the Israelites said to them, if only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. There we sat around pots of meat and ate all the food that we wanted. But you have brought us out in the desert to starve this entire assembly to death. Stop. Time out for a minute. We remember the pots of meat and all the food that we enjoyed. To which I want to respond that when you were in Egypt, why were you always complaining? It was so good there. We had, we had meat. We had, you, they remember the good stuff that happened in Egypt. Remember that? It was good. If God wanted to in the text of the scripture, he said, that's not what I remember hearing. You've been praying for me to deliver you for centuries. Not a four-day prayer, four months. For a hundred and such and such and such and such years, you have been praying for deliverance. But now, only now, only now do they remember how good they had it in Egypt. It was good back there. Pick back up. Then the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I am about to rain bread from heaven for you. And the people shall go out and gather a day's portion every day. A day's portion every day. That I may, listen, test them. Whether they will walk in my law or not. On the sixth day, when they prepare what they bring in, it will be twice as much as they gather daily. So Moses and Aaron said to all the people of Israel, At evening you shall know that it was the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt. And in the morning you shall see the glory of the Lord. Because he has heard your, <laughs> he has heard your grumbling against the Lord. Yeah. God's... God didn't, God didn't say, I've heard your prayers. <laughs> I, I, hey, listen, I'm God. I've been listening to you. You're grumbling. And there's something really beautiful about that in just a second we'll get to. The instruction from God, I need you to understand, corresponded with their complaining. Their complaining was that we had all the food we possibly could eat there. It was always good. We never had to worry about starving. And God, he, he corresponds the blessing to their complaint then I'll give them food. And the word that we see in this text, in this area, that I want you to stare at for me just a second, is the word test, that I may test them in verse 4. This is not simply a picture of God's provision for Israel's stomachs. You need to know this. However, the provisional hand of God for all of Israel at any point in time. 
spiritually, the provision. Protectionally, their provision. And the question is, how would they respond? How would the nation of Israel respond and trust that provision? Interestingly, in Egypt, they also complained and longed for a deliverer, as we've already established. And God heard their cries and came to their aid. If you remember the ten plagues of Egypt and the way in which they escaped, the question is, how would Israel respond to all these things? All of these things. What would be their new disposition? And the text tells us what their new disposition was. Years of praying to God. Years of grumbling to God. God receives their, sends them a deliverer in Moses. He takes them and shows them their hand in, in the plagues of Egypt. He sends them out of the land. Their, their oppressors come at the, their heels to destroy them. God opens up the sea, swallows them up. They do not have a compass. Where do we go, oh God? God says, I will show up in a pillar of fire by day. Excuse me, a, a, a cloud of smoke by day and a pillar of fire by night. In other words, God walks before them everywhere they go. There he is. That thing, there he is. And what does it say was their disposition? More grumbling. Now my, my son and I had a great conversation about this, this text, this week. He said, Dad, and I love it, I love it, I love it. Logic goes, Dad, Israel just didn't get it, did they? And I'm thinking to myself, and I, we had a conversation about this. We are just as blind and dumb as sheep as they were. So please don't over-spiritualize this too deeply. We are they. We are they. It was more grumbling. Yet God provides, and this served to highlight God's gracious response in contrast to their cries, their ungracious grumbling, their complaining against God. Meaning, Israel grumbled and God smote them. Not what the text says. They grumbled and God sent his wrath on them. No, that's not what the text says. They grumbled, and God blessed. This is the God in whom we serve. They grumbled, God blessed. But before we think that this was God's delight, I don't need you thinking that. Before we come away thinking that God was simply happy, blessing them in their bad behavior, that God loved to bless them because of their lack of trust, their lack of gratitude and constant complaining, we should understand what the psalmist explains of this event in the history of Israel. So it must be you up there, Nikki. So hit that passage in, in Psalm if you don't mind. And it says there, Psalm 78, 21 through 25. Therefore, when the Lord heard, he was full of what? Wrath. A fire was kindled against Jacob. What does it say? His what rose? His anger rose against Israel because they did not believe in God and did not trust his saving power. Yet he commanded the skies above and opened the doors of heaven and he rained down on them manna to eat and gave them grain of heaven. Man ate of the bread of the angels. He sent them food in abundance. They grumbled. 
even though God had wrath and fire and anger against them, he still fed them. Now back to the text. Pit back with me in Exodus 16, 13 through 15, and it says, And in the evening, quail came up and covered the camp, and in the morning, dew lay around the camp. And when the dew had gone up, means when it evaporated, there was on the face of the wilderness a fine flake-like thing. I love that. A thing. A thing. They had not seen it before. Fine as the frost on the ground. When the people of Israel saw it, they said to one another, What is it? For they did not know what it was. And Moses said to them, It is the bread that the Lord has given you to eat. Now, I need you to know something of significant importance this morning. All you really need to know is that God is not a vegetarian. It's right here. He gives them quail and starch. Meat and potatoes is the God in whom we serve. Now, I'm, 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 that's a joke. You do, you do know that, right? I do actually believe the garden, in the, okay, theologically in the garden, we didn't eat meat because meat was people living, things were living, we didn't eat living things, okay? Sin happened. I just want to make sure you understand that was a joke, and I wasn't making a theological statement, okay? If you're a vegetarian, you're more like God than, than me who eats meat and potatoes, okay? Don't think you're holier than me, though. Do not think that you're holier than me. He brings them quail meat he brings them bread and it's just not any type of bread but my question is what did the bread taste like verse 31 if you go a little bit further in the text it says to us I just kind of like this I love the descriptive nature of this bread now the house of Israel called its name manna it was like coriander seed white and the taste of it was like wafers made with honey my goodness I want to eat right now this was better than any sourdough bread you can think of, which is one of my favorite pieces of bread, right? But now I want to really get your attention this morning really quick. We're going to continue on, and I want you to look at 16 through 21. We're going to fill this up. Now listen to this. That is what the Lord has commanded. He's given, he's provided, but now he's telling them what to do with it. Listen, he says, gather of it, each one of you, as much as you can eat. You shall eat. You should each take an omer, slightly more than two quarts, that's what that comes out to be, according to the number of the persons that each of you has in his tent, per person. 17. And the, the people of Israel did so. They gathered some more, some less. Some gathered more than the, that quart, two quarts. Some gathered less than that. But look what it says there. But when they measured it with an omer, whoever gathered much had nothing left over. They ate it all. And whoever gathered little, a little bit of that, had no lack. It filled them up. This is a good deal. If you need to lose a little bit of weight, just take half an omer and you'll be filled. You'll be full. It's the kind of diet that I like. Each of them gathered as much as he could eat. And Moses said to them, let no one leave any of it till the morning. But they did not listen. Imagine that. To Moses, some left part of it till morning, and it bred worms and I love this word. It's so it's real, maybe I'm a I'm a I'm a I'm a product of the '90s, and it had stank in it. We used to say that '90s that stank. That's okay. Never mind. Generational thing. All right. And uh, Nikki, I am not a millennial. All right. Bread worms and stank, and Moses was angry with them. 
Morning by morning they gathered it, each as much as he could eat. But when the sun grew hot, it melted. This morning, uh, Nikki, if you hit that, the three points there uh, in, 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 the, in the text, I want us to look at really quickly. There's three points to focus upon in our text. Uh, number one, God gave exactly what they needed. I want you to see that. God gave exactly what they needed. Number two, they were never meant to live on yesterday's manna. They were never meant to live on yesterday's manna. I'm going to have fun on that point, okay? Then number three, while God provided, it did not mean that Israel was not to be moved to action. It does not mean that Israel was not to work. So this morning, those are the three that I would like to undertake to look at this morning before we close. Number one, God gave exactly what they needed. We see this again, if you will, in verse 17, where it says they gathered some more, some less, but when, the me- when they measured it with an omer, whoever gathered much had n- le- nothing left over, and whoever gathered little had no lack. Each of them gathered so much, excuse me, gathered as much as he could eat. Now what I think is very interesting about this detail in 17 and 18 is this. This is often how God operates. It's not always, but often you see him operating this way. God typically gives us just enough to meet our blessing and yet keep us on our knees in dependence upon him. And brothers and sisters, I need to tell you something. That's not a bad thing. That is not a bad thing. Oftentimes, we as human beings like the shiny stuff, right? We like the stuff that takes the attention away from God. We're prone to do that. If God loves you as much as I think that he does love you in the gospel of Jesus Christ, that you are a paid-for, blood-bought individual, he calls you son or daughter, then he says, I will give you what is best. And what is always best is for you to always be longing for more of me. That is not, that is, that is absolutely amen-worthy. And yet, if you're like yourself, and if you're like this pastor, and this pastor's like you, don't we often forget that? God is not punishing you when you feel as if though you need him a little bit more. God is blessing you. Dependence upon him is often the way in which God operates, and it is interesting to me that in the course of this text, those who gathered a little bit more ate it, and it filled them. Those who gathered a little less didn't have as much as the next guy. Or excuse me, they had enough, and these people here were full. Isn't that interesting? No matter how much you had or how little you had, everyone was exactly the same in their bellies feeling just fine. Isn't that neat? I think that's absolutely awesome. I can't remember if I actually put Psalm 73, 25 through 26. If that is up there, let us read this. Yes, I thought that I'd put this here. This is one of my favorite texts in all of Scripture. Whom have I in heaven but you? The psalmist states, and there is nothing on earth that I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, and doesn't it fail often? But God is the strength of my heart, and he is my, look, portion forever. Give me a piece of that pie. You want a piece of the pie? Yeah, give me my piece. Your piece, the portion, is Christ to the fullest forever. What is the chief end of man? 
to glorify God while we live and listen to enjoy Him, even starting now, forever. The chief end of man. What do I exist? To glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. Yeah, but why do I exist? To glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. Everyone's looking for purpose. This is the purpose-driven life. That's it. Number two, that's number one. God gave exactly what they needed. I love this. And what they always needed was more of him. You were not made. I need, to, I need to fill you in on something, church. Please don't throw rocks and stones at me. I know that a culture in which I live does not like to hear what I'm about to say. I know that. But it still needs to be said. You were not made to get your fill of Jesus this out of heaven. Did you hear what I just said? Constantly full, yes. Constantly full because God is good but never satisfied. Why? Because who will deliver us from this body of death? If this, this, there's a reason why we should long for heaven. There's a reason why we should long for a home that this, this is not our home. There is home. Do you believe that? Do you believe that that is home? And this is home, yes, but it's only home because Jesus is still here. But we long to be with him in eternity forever. Where every, there is no more sickness. There is no more pain. There is no more tear to wipe away from the eye. And God is all in all in all. Two, they, will never, they were never meant to live on yesterday's manna. This, this is, brings us back to dependence. We see this in verse 19 through 20. Listen, and Moses said to them, let no one leave any of it until the morning. But they did not listen to Moses. Some left part of it till the morning, and it bred worms and stank, and Moses was angry with them. God decreed that yesterday's manna would become corrupt and worm-infested if anyone tried to store it up for safekeeping. The Lord's command was that manna was to be eaten on the day of its collection and only on that day. This did not mean that yesterday's manna was bad. It doesn't mean that what we ate yesterday was bad. It was still good. It was good. However, its purpose was not set to feed Israel tomorrow. While yesterday's manna was good, new manna for a new day was better than the one from before. And here is the test before Israel. Would Israel trust as not to gather? Or would they fear and seek to gather on their own strength? Would they depend on God and on his on self, on God or on self and hoard? And on the Sabbath, would they rest or would they go out for more the next day? On the day, on Saturday, if you remember in our text, they were to gather double what they had so that when Sunday came, they could literally chill. They could chillax, take it easy. God gave them rest. And what do we see the nation of Israel doing? Nuh-uh. There's more out there to have. Gimme, 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 gimme. Brothers and sisters, as we look at this morning's text, many in Israel simply failed with the test. This truth continues to have relevance for those of us who live in the 21st century as well. The underlying principle is that God wants us to experience his goodness on a daily basis. Amen. But yesterday's blessings, while great, while they lasted... And I would say they must be remembered often, but today is a new day. 
Why do we look at yesterday for today? That youth retreat when we were younger, last, maybe it was last year, that mountaintop experience that changed you, that moment in your walk with Christ where he felt just so close and so near. However, listen to me, church. If we live there, if we continue to have our spiritual attention fixated upon those moments in our past alone, yesterday, we will be missing God's provision for us today. We will miss what God is doing right now as he continues on in his purposes. They are not meant to satisfy. Listen, yesterday's manna was not made to satisfy your spiritual hunger for today. They just are not. We say things like, well, at least I do. I don't know about you. If only I could be back there. If only I had that experience again. You remember that? Hey, you remember that time? I wish we could go back to that moment. Brothers and sisters, listen to me. This is not God's design for any of us. Don't you know, there is new manna for today. And you are not made to live off of yesterday's manna. You are not made to live off of yesterday's mercies and graces and salvation. You remember it. You look back at it. You cherish it. You put it in a box. You, put it, you keep it for safekeeping. You put it out. You look at it. But brothers and sisters, if you're always looking there, your attention may be distracted from what is right here. Our God is the same yesterday and today and forevermore. Amen? He does not change. He doesn't go anywhere. The only thing that goes anywhere is our eyes. It usually goes to the wrong places. We must, if you're like me, need to constantly be reminded. But this means that we have to change the way which we think. This means that we, we must move on. Not forget, not forget at all. Never forget. But move on from yesterday. New vision and new focus. Not on yesterday, but in this day, in the present. And this is never easy for many of us. It's never easy for me. Why? Because it's always uncharted. When God says to Abraham, I'm going to take you to a land. You're going to leave Ur. You're going to go to a place that you have no idea where you're going. Okay, where's it out on the map, God? Don't worry about it. I'll let you know when you get there. Okay, but uh, tell me where I need to take the first step. Uh, this one. Go. Hey, uh, Sarah, we're going to go somewhere. Don't you do it. We have it good here. Life is good. Why would you upend that? Because God said to go. Okay, what is God going to give us? I don't know. He says he'll let us know when we get there. It's always scary. It's always uncharted. That's the point. That's the point, I think. My comfort in this world will not be experienced until I meet Jesus. We are on pilgrimage and mission on this world right now. If you are coming to Christianity because you need to get comfortable, then you're not going to be walking really well in Christianity. It is uncharted territory. It is come and meet Jesus outside the city gate. It is, hey, Jesus, you're on walking on water. Jesus says, come with me. Follow, come over here. Meet me out here on the water's edge. If that is scary, that's fine. But understand, that is the call of a disciple of Jesus Christ. Lamentations 3, 23 through 24 says, The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. Amen. His mercies never, never come to an end. Amen. 
They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion. My, says my soul, therefore I will hope in him. New every morning is his faithfulness. Lamentations 3, 22 through 24 reminds us that in Christ, the Lord will be faithful to be there every morning with enough mercies to get us through today's troubles, sin and pain. The book of lamentation is filled with pain, misery, and consequences for sin. Yet breaking through this glimmering is this glimmering gospel hope that points to the sufficient, powerful, present, and faithful care of God for each of those who belong to his blood-bought family in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Question, do you believe this? Do you go out in the midst of having yesterday's manna Understanding that today, even though all these promises are true, we're still going to take the next step. And we're going to go out and we're going to gather again. And we're going to gather again. And we're going to gather again until one day we do not gather, but we receive all that is promised us in Christ Jesus. Yesterday's mercies and graces are good. But brothers and sisters, are you in your Christianity this morning? I want to ask a real question. Are you living off of yesterday's mercies and graces as a believer today? Are you living off of yesterday's Bible verses? Are you living off of yesterday's quiet times with God in prayer? Are you living off of yesterday's experiences? Remember, Christianity is a living faith and not a yesterday in the past sort of faith. It is not a now dead, live in memorial type faith. It is a living everyday, morning by morning faith. Do we believe this? Do not settle for yesterday's manna when God gives you manna for today. Three and finally, this did not mean that Israel was not to be moved to action. That's the point that I'm making. Verse 21 says, morning by morning they gathered it, each as much as he could eat. But when the sun grew hot, it melted. While these mercies are new every day, while they are there, we must pick them up. They're out there. We will move on from yesterday's hopes and experiences in order to experience Christ and his blessings today. Your relationship with God, listen to me church, is a living one. It's vital and active. And in order to remain close to him, you need to meet with him on a daily basis. He comes right to the doorstep. But if we won't step outside and gather the bread of life that he offers to us, we're going to go spiritually, listen to me, hungry. You will starve even in your Christian walk. What I mean by that is, I don't believe that for the life of the Christian, you starve to the point of no longer being a Christian, like you die. No, no, you just starve in your Christian walk where as a believer, bought by the blood of Jesus Christ, you just don't have enough energy to get off the couch. Have you ever seen someone who's emaciated, who just has no, has no food? What happens to their bodies? Shrivels up. They barely can walk. I've been to, in places where I've seen starvation. I do not believe that this is supposed to be the picture of the church today in the 21st century. An emaciated, this, this thing that is hungry and starving and feeble and cannot get off the couch. This is not what God 
has intended for his people to do in the wilderness. While these mercies are new every day, we must at the same time understand that we've got to get to reaching out and receiving them. So many of us wonder why our spiritual lives are stagnant and empty, but it's no surprise when you realize that all that all many of us are doing is feeding off of yesterday's manna, trying to allow those high points in our Christian walk to sustain us. Moments of your spiritual life to supply you on days we are expected to be in relationship with God and his people. Going out in the front doors to pick up what God has already given us. Yes, God has provided and God's promise is there in his provision. And yet we are to still work. I want to make sure that we understand this. Not works as to receive God's blessings and mercies. Works because he's given us graces, blessings, and mercy. He is worthy. Amen? He is worthy. We want to give God just enough space in our lives. Just enough of our time and energy. But he wants all of us. Every day and not just yesterday. Don't hold on. Or don't hold out on him. And don't hold out on yourselves. Don't settle for a half-hearted relationship with our awesome God when all the wonder of knowing him more is right outside your front door. The question is, do you believe this, church? And here is my conclusion. There's a saying that goes something like this. Some people will change when they see the light. Amen. That's good, right? Others only change when they feel the heat. Mm-hmm. Praise God for the light that's come on. Some of you in your Christian walks, you know that God in his mercy and grace has turned on the lights of your blindedness. You were dark, you had no way of seeing, and God, in an act of his mercy and kindness, he allowed you to see the truth of his word and who he is in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And all of us, we say amen to that. But now there's a second group of people in this room that I think are in this room. Some of you have seen the light and you still are acting like yourselves. And oftentimes God has sent his heat. And guess what? His heat has changed you as well. And I say praise God for you as well. Amen for the heat. Amen? Amen for the light and amen for the heat. God disciplines those he loves. But my prayer is that none of you have to feel the heat. Some people will change when they see the light. Others only change when they feel the heat. And I feel that some of us are starting to feel that heat spiritually. We are learning that yesterday's manna simply is not enough to prolong our spirituality today. It was never supposed to. It was never intended to, believer, brother and sister in Christ, my friends in this room. And I personally have found myself in this position many times in my own Christian walk. Can I, can I get an amen for just being honest? Hey, thank you. We all find ourselves here. Pastors find themselves here. That's why we always, as the people of God, must remind ourselves of this word and honestly always be reminding each other of this word. There's a quote by Charles Spurgeon that said this. We are too prone, I love this, we are pr too prone to engrave our trials in marble. And write our blessings in the sand. Can you imagine if we just switched that up? 
Our trial should be in the sand. Our blessing should be in the marble that does not move with the tide. Brothers and sisters, I want to I offer you something in my conclusion. I personally, Kyle Schiff, I want to grow spiritually. And in my witness and love for Jesus Christ, I want our church to grow to these same regards. I want the glory of God to grow through us in our life and ministry as a church. That's what I want. That's my agenda. But listen, bubble wrap looked as if its days were behind it. However, with new vision and focus, it found with more success its most valuable purpose. Not as wallpaper. Praise God. I believe this is where we stand currently as a church. Our foundation is put in place. Amen. Ties to the past will always be a part of our DNA. Amen. However, I am ready to go out and pick today's manna. Spiritually speaking, I feel as if I must. Spiritually speaking, I feel like we must. Listen, we were never meant to live on yesterday's manna. So many so may we begin doing life and ministry together in full dependence on God's leading, directing and blessing us for today, and allow the gospel of Jesus Christ and his word to be the roadmap of everything that we do, everything that we think, and the way that we treat and love one another in a lost and dying world that does not yet know him. Let this and the gospel of Jesus Christ be seen in all of our dealings with one another. Let us stir one another up to love and to good deeds. Let us agitate one another. So be it. But I pray that when someone pokes at us and pricks at us and even gets on our nerves, that the only thing that flows out of us is love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, gentleness, and self-control. God tested Israel in this moment. And what came out wasn't always good. God may be testing us in this moment. And I pray that what flows out of it is completely and utterly good. Let's pray. Father God, we come before you this morning. I love you and I thank you for your word. Lord, I thank you for the example of Israel. Not for us to somehow think that we have grown past that or, uh, oh, that, that nation of Israel, that they're your people, Lord God. How, oh, how they, how they didn't love you and trust you, but we're so much. God, we know if we were honest, if we were wise, Lord God, we do these things every single day. We are they. Would you help us to learn from this account in your history? that we would not repeat those same mistakes in our today present? God, would you help us because of the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ that we have experienced, if we do not know you, Lord, I pray that we'd come to know you savingly. But those of us who are found and known by you, thank you for the light of the gospel. Lord God, if we need the heat, may the heat come. Because I pray that the, our desire, my personal desire, the desire of our church, Lord God, is that we would glorify you. That we would know and love you. That we would obey you, Lord God, in a loving sort of obeying. And Lord God, that your name would be made much in this area of Wilmington and ultimately in all of our involvements throughout the world. But God, would you bless us? Would you use us? And Lord, I pray that you would help us to long for tomorrow's manna being satisfied with today's, 
and constantly motivated and loving the fact that you have fed us all the days of our lives leading up to this point. In all things, Lord God, you are good. Your faithfulness endures to the end. Thank you, Lord God, as we sing this morning together. Amen.